You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to discuss some of our favorite things. But first we want to remind you about the Friendlier reading experience. We've gotten a great response so far and are going to put the first round of groups together this week. So if you've already filled out the form or if you fill that out in the next couple of days, you should hear from us before the next episode is out. If you're not ready to sign up yet, it's okay. We anticipate that this will be an ongoing offering, so feel free to sign up at any time. Well, let's start as we always do by catching up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? I want to share about two TV shows that we have been watching. The first is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is available to stream on Amazon Prime. And this is one of those Amazon originals. And it's about... A woman in the 50s or 60s whose husband leaves her and then she becomes a stand-up comedian. (laughs) I really appreciate the look at gender roles, especially in the context of what's viewed as funny or not. Is it a 20-minute episode or a longer episode? They're longer episodes, but I think they're only seven or eight. So it's a short commitment. Okay. And I think they haven't even started filming season two right now, which I was really sad about when we finished, but there will be more. Noted. And then the second thing that I've been watching is the show Suits, which is the one that Meghan Markle, soon to be married to Prince Harry, was on (laughs) for many years. I wanted to start watching it to watch her, (laughs) but I just think that it's a thoughtful, fun show. How many seasons of that are out right now? I think there are six, so we have plenty (laughs) to get through. We're still finishing up our scandal commitment, but soon we'll be ready for a new show to stream. I think The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel would be a great palate cleanser post-scandal. We will give it a try. (laughs) What's new with you, Sarah? So we're recording this the day after Valentine's Day, and this is my first year having a child in the public school system having to do Valentine's for that. Uh huh. So I had imagined that it would just be for his classroom, Mm -hmm. but it was actually for three classrooms that often do work together. And so it was 67 Valentines. So many. Which felt like a lot to ask a five-year-old to do. Yeah. And in the letter, it also encouraged that the Valentines be homemade. Mm. Well, my five-year-old is just learning to read and write. So the act of even writing the to and from on that many Valentines is enormous. And I don't have a huge interest in participating in that with my child. (laughs) Oh, no? (laughs) Not at all. So he did end up completing them amazingly. It required a lot of either Neil or I sitting with him. And Mm -hmm. we were often doing our own thing at the table while he was doing it. But he did complete them on his own. It just felt like a lot to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I think with a lot of holidays, I come across as being very grinchy, (laughs) and I feel sort of grinchy about a lot of holidays. Uh And it's not that I don't want to do Valentine's things with my kids. We made pancakes, sort of in the shape of hearts. (laughs) We made chocolate cake that we enjoyed. We made Valentine's for the people within our family that HP was very excited about doing that. Mm -hmm. But it felt like a lot of work without a lot of meaning behind it, Mm. because when you're doing it that mass produced, you're not really putting any thought into what you're creating. You're just moving through the list. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the effort and inclusion. I just wish that there could be more focus on the celebration and less on the exchanging of pieces of paper that are then going in the recycle bin. Yeah. On the upside, he's very good at writing the words to and from now. (laughs) (laughs) That will serve him well in future. Yes. 
that is enough Valentine's talk. Let's chat about what we've been reading. So for my in-person book club that I'm going to tonight, I read the book Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson. This is my first real sci-fi book. I think I've dabbled in sci-fi in the past in the form of sci-fi that serves younger readers, mm-hmm. like YA audiences. Like Ender's Game. Did you read that? Exactly. That's my main other comparison. I think that's my only sci-fi. So anyway, this felt like the first real adult sci-fi It was really long, and there was a lot of science in it. So the premise is that the moon breaks into pieces, and then the pieces are sort of rocketing around the Earth's atmosphere and smashing into each other and making smaller and smaller pieces. So scientists figure out that sometime about two years from that first event, there's going to be this exponential situation of collisions of the pieces that's going to turn into what they call the hard rain, which is basically going to make life on Earth impossible and things are going to get fiery and burn up. And then the whole rest of the book is humanity's response and the plans that they make to try and ensure the preservation of the species. It's not a book that I'm going to read over and over again, but I actually really enjoyed reading it and listening to it at the time. There are really cool characters, including lots of great female characters. It was a little bit scary to think about the end of the world, but in a really compelling way that made me want to keep reading it. Thinking about reading this, you know, when you have a new baby or something like that, Mm -hmm. I would not recommend that because I think it would be too intense at that time. Mm -hmm. So things I didn't love were that it was so very long. (laughs) Lots of technical, sciencey details. Mm -hmm. It's divided into multiple sections. And the last section is basically another novel because they jump forward like 10,000 years or something like that. Like a very long epilogue. Definitely. It could have just been a 10-page sum up of where are they now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But no, it was like a whole other book. And because I had gotten attached to the characters and to their journey in the first one, Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't care about their thousands of years later descendants. Right. It's enough for me to know that they had descendants. I didn't need some whole other thing to happen. On the whole, I think I would recommend it, at least for someone who knows nothing about other sci-fi. It felt like a pretty good entree into the genre Mm -hmm. and didn't put me off trying other sci-fi books in the future. But I also didn't capital L love it. So if you're looking for that kind of book, this is maybe not it. That's fair. What have you been reading, Sarah? My book is very different than Seven Eves. (laughs) I read The Assistance by Camille Perry. And when I was down with the flu, I was in the middle of reading an epic and was just having trouble being inspired to pick it up (laughs) while I felt terrible. And I just wanted something light and easy that would keep me turning the pages. Yeah. So I saw this book recommended with those very descriptions by Bethany's Library on Instagram. Nice. And got it the next day at the library. And I read this one in less than 24 hours. It was set in New York City following a 30-year-old in her work as an assistant to a media tycoon. Mm. Mm -hmm. It follows her work and personal life plus an embezzlement scheme. (laughs) It felt geared toward people five to 10 years younger than me, Mm -hmm. that it was a lot about student debt 
and what it's like to come out of college with all this debt and mm-hmm. you're getting a job that's not exactly in your field and you feel like you're not utilizing your whole potential. And there was also a love interest. So I really enjoyed reading it and wanted to know what was happening and was engaged, but it was hard for me to really care about the characters or the bigger issues that were in the book. Mm-hmm. I didn't find the character development to be very good because I never felt like I really cared about <laughs> anyone in the book. Well, at the same time, I think it would be a great book if you're going on vacation, if you have a plane ride, because it was really fun. Mm. So that is what I'd say about it. It's a very easy read and felt like exactly what I needed in the moment. But it's not something you're going to think about for months or years or even days to come. (laughs) Fair enough. Before we finish up our discussion about books, we wanted to let you know about another podcast made up of two readers who love discussing books. We have shared before about the Girl Next Door podcast, but we wanted to make sure our listeners knew about their quarterly book club episodes. Once every few months, they let listeners know about the book they're going to be reading in advance and then have a really in-depth conversation about it. So when we discuss books, we usually just give a quick review and our thoughts, but they spend a whole episode going in depth in the way that you actually would if you were in a book club with them. Beware, there are always spoilers, but I always really enjoy the conversation that they have. So my favorite thing about the Girl Next Door book club is that you don't have to read the book at the time that they release the episode. I've gone back to books that I haven't read at that time, but have read later. Right. And when I'm really, you know, I've just finished something and I really am wanting to talk about it with someone. Mm-hmm. It's a great option to look through to see if they've read that book and then to have like two friends mm-hmm. in my ears <laughs> talking about this book that I was really engaged by or really hated. And so I love that it's not tied to time. I love that too. Kelsey and Erica are always ready to discuss the book with you. So tomorrow, they're going to be releasing one of their book club episodes. In this one, they are going to discuss The Keeper of Lost Things by Ruth Hogan. Erica specifically recommended the audiobook, saying that it was a wonderful reader with British accents. Nice. And that it was a very cozy read, which feels great for this time of year. So if you're interested in checking out the Girl Next Door book club, Look at our show notes at friendlierpodcast.com. We will link to their Instagram and their website. So around this time last year, we did an episode where we talked about some of our favorite things, and we felt like it was time to do another one of those because we love talking about what we love. <laughs> we do. So let's begin by talking about our favorite comfort food. And I'm also wanting for us to define what comfort food means, because when Mm. I saw yours, I thought maybe I misunderstood the category because I feel (laughs) like we took it in a different direction. So what is comfort food to you, Abby? To me, comfort food is what I reach for when I'm cranky or sick. Okay. I think it has some historical significance for me. These are foods that I ate a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so eating them makes me feel cozy and like I'm being taken care of. I think I see that as two different kinds of comfort food, that there Mm. is the comfort food that I have when I just feel like things aren't going well and I want to eat my feelings and feel good about that. Mm -hmm. And then there is food that I love to have when I'm feeling ill. Mm. But that to me doesn't feel like as much of a comfort food because it's so associated with me feeling physically bad. Interesting. 
So I was thinking of it more as like, what do I go to the grocery store when I feel like I just deserve some junk food? (laughs) (laughs) And I think mine are actually the same. So the two things that I wrote are box macaroni and cheese. You could get the kind with the powder. If you're feeling fancy, you can get the kind that's already a cheesy, squeezy thing that you squeeze out of the little packet. That kind scares me. I don't think I've ever had it because it really freaks me out to have the cheese sauce (laughs) pre-made. I love it. And I think it's bland enough that I ate it when I wasn't feeling super great Mm -hmm. as a kid. But also this is the real comfort thing where I'm feeling hormonal or I'm feeling like everybody hates me and I'm just going to eat a whole box of macaroni and cheese for my lunch and feel great about it. (laughs) And I love the weight of how it feels in my stomach. I love the taste. I love the bright orange, chemically color. I love everything about it. It feels really comforting. We used to call it orange macaroni and cheese growing up because my mom would also make really great homemade mac and cheese, but I didn't prefer that when I was a kid. I wanted orange mac and cheese. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Now I prefer the homemade kind, but I still have a soft spot in my heart for the orange variety. And I will say, if you're going to go the powder version, I recommend to get the shapes pasta. So maybe it's SpongeBob Mm. SquarePants. It's probably frozen these days, but it's not an actual macaroni noodle. It's like in the shape of a character or like a star or something more complex than just a noodle because I think it holds the cheese better in the little crevices. Mm. See, I prefer the original version because I feel like the texture is better. It's softer and slimier in a good way. Okay, so (laughs) overcooking the classic version is something I cannot abide. Mm. And that's another thing that the Shapes Pasta helps with. Okay. The other thing that I wrote is brothy soup. And this could be ramen in a packet. Mm -hmm. That's what we ate a lot as kids. We either make it as a soup, so leaving the water in, Mm -hmm. or sometimes we would drain it, add butter, and then just put the seasoning packet on it so it's like really salty Mm. and noodly. Okay. And that works especially well even now for things like hangovers when what you really need is something like fatty and salty. I can see that. But I also love other brothy soups. We used to have, when I was little, the Lipton chicken noodle soup that comes with like the skinny tidy noodles. Okay. And it's like a powder soup similar to ramen, equally unrefined. And then we've talked about before on the pod that I like to make a homemade chicken noodle soup with a really yummy, rich broth. And that's also really comforting to me. So tell us what yours is, Sarah, because it's different. So the one I wrote down was French onion dip and chips, which is my all-time favorite junk food. Okay, tell me what chips you use. I have used a variety, but the best are just salty potato chips. Okay. Just plain or with ripples? Either are fine. Okay. The ripples don't break apart as easily when you're getting a lot of the dip on it. Yeah. But I don't mind the other kind. And then I just end up with a small piece of chip and a high dip to chip ratio. Perfectly acceptable. In the past, I've had the kind where you just get the sour cream and you mix in the soup packet. Yeah. I feel like I did that more growing up. But what I really love is the Dean's brand Mm. French onion dip. And I have tried other ones, and they're okay, but the Dean's is the best. Is Dean's in the refrigerated section? Mm -hmm. It's by the sour cream. And is it regional? Mm. Like, were you able to find it in Texas, too? Yeah, I think it's everywhere, just in your mainstream grocery store. I don't think I've ever had trouble finding it. I need to look for that. 
So if I ever feel like I want to treat myself, (laughs) that is what I get. Love it. So when you're eating French onion dip and chips, when you're treating yourself, Mm -hmm. what quantity are we talking about? Because to me, part of the comfort of eating the macaroni is eating the whole box. (laughs) Yes. If I know I'm going to be eating it with Neil and I'm going to be sharing it, Mm. then I buy the much larger tub because I don't want to feel sad about him eating it too. Mm -hmm. Good. But if I'm by myself, I can do the smaller tub. So I'm not sure how many ounces that is, but like smaller than a regular sour cream container. Mm -hmm. And then I would eat most of it. Okay. Usually there's a little bit left for the next day and then I'm always sad the next day that I didn't save more. Or buy the big one for just you. (laughs) It's probably the better plan. I'm going to look for that. As you should. Let's move on to a non-food-related topic and share some of our favorite podcasts. We've talked a lot about favorite podcasts on here, and I still have my classic faves, The Girl Next Door podcast and Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and Death, Sex, and Money out of WNYC. But I wanted to talk about two new favorites that I have recently come across. The first is called Imaginary Worlds, and it is hosted by a guy named Eric Malinsky, and this is a nerd podcast. So if you are into any kind of media, books, movies, comic books, whatever, that create a new world, I think that you would really love this podcast because what he does each time is focuses on a different aspect of imaginary worlds that are out there in media. The ones that I've listened to that I love the most are the Harry Potter podcasts. Of course. Where he looks at the world of Harry Potter and brings in different experts. So people that are experts in literature. He talks to Casper and Vanessa of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. He talks to the people in charge of the Harry Potter Alliance, which is this charitable organization that's grown up around Harry Potter, and talks about why the things that have meaning in the books have meaning. I just love it. It feels a little bit like a class in that he's talking to all these experts, but it's still really fun and accessible. And so I'm really enjoying myself as I'm learning about how we as humans relate to these imaginary worlds that we've created. Do you feel like you would have to have a background then in the imaginary world that he's talking about in order to enjoy it? Or is it something that you could listen to without any of that knowledge? I think that I've enjoyed the ones most where I know the world that he's referring to really well, but I think it's more the examination of how we as humans relate to anything like that Mm -hmm. that I find really appealing and awesome. The more meta aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm just trying to imagine what other worlds I would know about besides the Harry Potter one. It's also that he brings in larger themes. So there's an episode that's focused on Star Wars and is in the context of Star Wars, but it's really about feminism. Mm. And so it does go beyond just an understanding of the fandom, whatever it is. That makes sense. The first podcast I wanted to share is called We Live Here. It is out of St. Louis Public Radio, and they describe the show as an in-depth exploration of how systemic racism impacts people as well as the well-being of St. Louis and beyond. Mm. And I really have enjoyed the conversations, I think, especially as somebody who grew up in Missouri, that it feels very close to home. Mm. So they'll take something that's happening in St. Louis, but then open it up to a much bigger, broader conversation. 
it's something that makes me think every time and has given me insight to things that I'm not coming across in my daily life Hmm. and seeing news items that I would have thought about one way and then hearing the ways in which they explore it and think about it. I have a much more nuanced understanding of the issue. Nice. And I think it's something that anyone would enjoy that you don't need to be from Missouri or St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Even though it has a bit of that regional focus, I think I would like it just as much if it were based out of a different city Mm -hmm. because the issues are so universal. The second podcast I'm going to talk about is more in the fluff category. I would say this is like the People magazine of podcasts. (laughs) This was recommended to me by two different friends. It's called When Harry Met Meghan. And the subtitle is A Royal Wedding Cast. It's two people, James Barr and Kristen Meinzer. They are just basically huge royal fans. So they just talk about everything leading up to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. I won't say that it leaves me feeling smarter. (laughs) But I do really love it for the enjoyment factor. And it's fast. So it's fun to listen to. You don't have to pay a whole lot of attention. It's a good podcast for cooking. Mm -hmm. Because while you're needing to get the ingredients right and things, you don't have to, you know, be thinking big sort of philosophical thoughts. Just enjoying (laughs) other people who enjoy royals. (laughs) I love it. The other podcast I wanted to mention is More Perfect, which is done by the same people who do Radiolab. And every episode covers a Supreme Court case, which I didn't think would be as interesting as it is. (laughs) I had a friend recommend it to me, and I was about to go on a road trip, and I thought, okay, great. I'm going to download a bunch of these episodes. I was traveling on my own, and the drive just flew by. There's so much I don't know about our nation's history Mm. that is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a really great history class, like if I were sitting in on a really amazing lecture. Mm. But there's also this storytelling element to it where at the beginning, they're sort of making you feel one way about the case or Mm -hmm. think, oh, this is the right answer. And then as they go through, they're slowly revealing more and more and highlighting how complicated all these things are. And so by the end, you have a really different understanding of what that court case meant Mm. and how it was decided. The first season, I think, was just eight episodes. And last fall, they started up again. Mm -hmm. The episode I would most recommend, if you're just wanting to try it out, is called Adoptive Couple vs. Baby Girl. Mm. It's about the case of who has custody over a three-year-old child. And Beyond that, it's about Native rights Mm. and the ways Native people have been treated and then the laws that have come out of that and the way it's playing out in society today. Mm. It's not a podcast that I feel like I can always keep up with in that I want to be by myself when I'm listening to it because there's a lot happening with it. It's not a cooking podcast for me. Yeah. But when I get a chance to listen to it, it makes me feel so excited about learning Mm. and feel like it's exercising the parts of my brain that see all the different shades of gray, which feels really important in today's culture where so much is presented as black and white and red and blue. Yeah. It's really exploring that in between and what that has looked like through these cases. Nice. Let's move back to food because we love talking about it. This could also be classified as a comfort food in many ways, at least for me. Yes. 
we wanted to discuss our favorite French fries. I'll just preface this by saying that I love most French fries. In college, we had a friend who recommended that I make my own Food Network show where I just traveled around (laughs) and ate French fries. But I would say my favorite of all French fries are beer-battered French fries. So these are ones that have not just the potato fried, but they have an extra crispy layer. Yes. One of my classic dinners at Hendrix after we had just sprinted our butts off at Frisbee practice was to get a huge plate, to cover it with beer-battered fries, put tons of cheddar cheese shreds from the salad bar, then microwave it. Occasionally, I would crumble bacon on top, but then I would get a huge bowl of ranch dressing Mm -hmm. and then just dip beer-battered cheese fries in there. And that was an amazing time. (laughs) Did you feel like the microwave made them soggy? That would be my concern. So you don't have to microwave it very long Mm -hmm. for the cheese to melt since the fries are already warm. And they might have gotten a little soggy also from the extra grease from the cheese. Right. But worth it. I would say for me, the key to a really good French fry is just that it be very, very hot Mm. and fresh. And this is something that my mom instilled in me. Uh She is a French fry lover, but only if they're very hot. Oh. I remember on road trips that we would go to McDonald's. So the only time we would eat there was on road trips. Uh And that she would say that she wanted fresh fries and she would (laughs) wait for them. Like she didn't want the ones that were already sitting out in the tray waiting to be scooped or that had been pre-scooped into the containers Mm -hmm. and she would wait for a new batch to come out so she can have piping hot french fries (laughs) but in terms of french fry accessories my favorite combination i also love the ranch dressing but beyond that is mayonnaise and ketchup together Mm. and then dipping my french fries in that Mm -hmm. and that is something i learned while traveling in belgium oh belgium has such good fries Yes. I think when my sister came to visit while I was studying abroad and we traveled there, all we ate were French fries with mayonnaise and ketchup. Not sure if she liked the dip or not, but I did. And chocolate. That sounds perfect for Belgium. It was quite delicious. I also love the cheese and ranch combo that I learned from you. That is a French fry legacy that you have passed on to me in our friendship. I'm so proud. (laughs) Our last favorite topic for today is going to be our favorite dates that we have been on with our spouses. So we don't go on a lot of dates, and the ones that we do go on tend to be sort of big events. Mm -hmm. So my favorite type of dates are concerts and other people's weddings. (laughs) (laughs) So the two most awesome concerts that I think that we've gone to were Sylvanesso, which was really recently. This is a duo that's out of Durham. And so we went to a show of theirs last year. But it was really the first big date that Andrew and I had gone on since Plum. Mm -hmm. And then we went to an awesome show at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, which was Mumford and Sons. Mm -hmm. The concert itself was actually a little ridiculous because the lead singer was drunk or on drugs and so he threw up on stage and then the show was over (laughs) (laughs) how far into the show was that maybe two-thirds of what they would have done anyway so I mean okay we got our money's worth but (laughs) it was just so fun to be there with Andrew listening to music that we both love 
And then even it sort of going wrong made it more memorable. And we made the best of it and we shared it and we sort of overcame this kind of stupid first world problem together. I really don't love going to concerts because I find them too loud. Yes. And also too long Mm. that I enjoy them, but then only for a certain period of time. But it's the loudness that's hard for me because I have a lot of things I want to say. (laughs) And (laughs) you can't have a conversation with somebody very well. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I normally feel that way about live music, especially in a small venue. Yes. Because it just gets louder. I mean, beyond the point of really being able to hear or enjoy the music. And so both of these that I'm thinking of, the Ryman Auditorium is amazing acoustically. And then for Sylvanesso, it was an outdoor venue, Mm. which makes a really big difference, I think, in terms of how loud it is. I think I'd like that better. Yeah. And then about other people's weddings, I'll just say that it's really nice to go with my spouse to watch other people make the same commitment to marriage that we have. Mm-hmm. And we really enjoy delicious food and drink, especially when it's free. <laughs> and so that's an awesome thrifty date idea. <laughs> I feel the same way about weddings in terms of just remembering my own wedding while I'm there mm-hmm. and feeling like it's really special to get to be a part of that and to witness people making that commitment. Mm-hmm. My only complaint about weddings is too loud music. Again, <laughs> I just don't like when things are too loud. But I like all the rest of it. Fair enough. We also don't go on too many dates because we are really homebodies. But one thing that we have started doing since moving here was getting season tickets to the local community theater. Mm, Cool. And I've really enjoyed that for multiple reasons. I love supporting the arts in our town and feeling like we're part of that. I also really love live theater and find it engaging in a way that watching a movie isn't. Mm. I think that it sparks conversation in a different way. I feel like it's really easy to have these same conversations about what's happening with the kids and what's our plan for this week and when are you working late and what's my schedule looking like Mm. and that doing something different like going to see a play leads us to talking about things outside of our regular routine. And I feel like that brings about a sense of connection. Nice. In fact, we're seeing a play this Saturday. Fun. We've also discovered that we really love doing matinees because Mm -hmm. when it was in the evening, it was so late by the time we were getting home. So this way, we can have the date during the day and then still have time to be homebodies in the evening. (laughs) Also, someone else takes care of your kid while they're awake. If you're going to pay a babysitter, make them work for it. (laughs) (laughs) And often during that hard afternoon time. Yeah. That that late afternoon hours are not always the most enjoyable as a family. (laughs) Mm, Matinee plays. I like that. The other thing we really love to do is just hanging out in the park and talking with each other or going on a walk together or a bike ride together. I just really like chatting with Neil and having uninterrupted conversation. I think that's something we talked about in the marriage episode. Mm Mm-hmm. It's more rare now. And so even just doing something really simple like that, it's not something we get to do that often. It's just be together with no distractions. Mm -hmm. One kind of date I really don't love is going out to dinner. Mm. That I find we have better conversations when we're doing something active Mm. or something outside as opposed to sitting at a table at a restaurant. Interesting. 
Well, I think that's the end of our conversation about favorites for this round. We would love to hear about your favorite things in these categories or any category. (laughs) (laughs) Let's finish up by sharing something that we've been eating lately. I have an Instant Pot recipe to share. A few weeks ago, I went over to a friend's house for dinner and she made baked potatoes with lentils and yogurt sauce and cheese and butter. Mm. And I thought, I have not had a good baked potato like that in years. It's not really a go-to for me, Mm -hmm. but her dinner made me realize the error of my ways. (laughs) And then I thought, I bet you can make baked potatoes in the Instant Pot. Oh, yeah. So I Googled it and you can. I have made them twice. Once I did sweet potatoes, and Mm. then I did salsa, yogurt, black beans, peppers Mm. as the toppings. Mm -hmm. And then just this week, we made classic baked potatoes with just, to be honest, butter, salt, and pepper because I couldn't get it together to make any (laughs) other toppings. I don't feel like I've quite perfected it. The way they recommended doing it was stabbing the potatoes so that the air could release putting the rack in the bottom Mm -hmm. so the potatoes aren't touching any of the water and then water in the bottom. And then for the size potatoes I had, 12 minutes was recommended plus I think 10 of a natural pressure release. Mm -hmm. I felt like they were still a little bit hard on the inside. And this was my issue with the sweet potatoes too, was they were getting very mushy on the outside, but then Mm. still a little bit hard. So I don't feel like I have it quite right, but It's so much faster and easier than trying to do it in the oven. Yeah. Wrapping them in foil takes so long. And they dry out too in the oven. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep working on it, but they were quite yummy. Just a little hard in the middle. (laughs) Sounds promising. What have you been eating lately? So this week, for some inexplicable reason, I got the craving for meatball subs. I don't know. I've ever had a meatball sub. (laughs) I haven't had one in years. And probably the last time I had one, it was some fast food sub of some kind. Mm -hmm. But we had ground beef in the freezer. So I looked up a meatball recipe. It's called Meatball Nirvana from (laughs) allrecipes.com. And so I made the meatballs. You bake them in the oven. And then I just got jarred sauce and bought the rolls from the grocery store. And I thought they were delicious. It wasn't the easiest recipe, but it was really hearty. And I think that's the part of it that I was craving, that savory end of winter yummy thing. Yes. Did you say that you put cheese on it? You could put cheese. People recommend provolone or mozzarella. Mm -hmm. That's how I imagine it. And I did have mozzarella, but I didn't put cheese on mine. Mm -hmm. There's Parmesan in the actual meatball itself, and that felt like plenty to me. Okay. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you can email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. What do we want to say? Should we write this out or should we just keep doing this and have lots of things to cut? Um, Do you want to strategize real quick before we move in? Let's strategize real quick. Then I already said it. Great.
Whoops. And you were worried about this episode not being long enough. You didn't know how long I could talk about macaroni and cheese for. It's true. I didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, Plum can fend for herself now. Yeah. It's great. She can. <laughs> she totally can. I'm like, Sarah, say it how I would say it, okay? Yeah. Because that's obviously the best way. 